Do you ever feel all alone out there running your landscape, hardscape, or outdoor living business? Struggling in silence to grow and scale profitably with fewer employees? Wishing there was a better way to make money in this industry without all the insanely long hours and ridiculously hard work? You're not alone. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. Each week, our tribe comes together to empower business owners to add more profitable services by teaching how to successfully hire and manage subcontractors. Join my inner circle mastermind. Gentlemen, it's time to start winning. For more information, email me, hello at yes.express. Again, it's hello at yes.express. Now, let's get on with the show. You're asking questions for need. You're asking questions for, am I talking to somebody who is, has the decision? Is there a sense of urgency? And then you follow everything up with your ABC, always be curious. Go out, come back next Friday with 10 new open-ended questions. Now, go out the next Friday and give me 10 more until you get to a point of where you're like, oh my gosh, I've got, I got the questions. And that allows you to be confident. Hello and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. I am on a mission to scour the globe to find and interview the most brilliant mindset coaches, sales strategists, and business leaders alive and present them in a way that landscapers, hardscapers, and outdoor living pros can immediately put them into use to grow and thrive. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 27 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, and today I have Kurt Tuford on the, the podcast. He's America's master sales motivator, professor at the University of Houston, and a VP of sales and development for a $1.5 billion industrial distributor. He's also the author of a book. Now, I bring him on here because we're going to talk a lot about sales. Sales directly related to the outdoor living, landscaping, and hardscape world, and how the correlation between a very large industrial complex as the $1.5 billion distributor that he works for, and how that translates back into us working with Mrs. Jones doing amazing backyards. You're going to be amazed by how many similarities there are and how we can take the selling from billion-dollar industries down to 20, 30, 50, 100, $200,000 projects for clients. The similarities are uncanny. So listen in. Kurt drops a ton of nuggets in here. Talks about the concepts of getting to the client's need, their want, and their why. A lot of stuff that we teach in our classes, he's going to open in that for you, and he's going to flip it over and have you actually take a look at it from different angles. So if you're out there struggling with sales or just want to brush up a little bit, Listen in. This is your episode. Hey, Kurt. I'm super excited to have you here on this uh, this week's episode of the Outer Spaces. Um, you're a professional in the sales world, right? So you've been doing sales now for many, many years. And I'd love to dig into, you know, what is sales really? Let's let's get started out with what that means. Because I know when you say sales, and I hear it all the time from my students, they're like, "Oh, I'm not a salesman. I hate sales. I like to build really cool stuff." But I don't like selling. That's that's what that's just a little slimy. You've got to be an extrovert for that. You've got to. That's just not me. I like to build cool shit. And the sales happen to be something I have to do to get there. So I'd love to know from your perspective what sales really is. Well, Joshua, for me, sales is being a helpsman. And let me define that. A helpsman helps people think about their problems or challenges, what they're trying to accomplish. And then a helpsman helps people decide to choose you 
to help solve that problem. So we're not in sales. We really are problem solvers, but we don't get the opportunity to really dig into the problem until we build a little bit of trust and rapport with that person, extrovert, introvert, and, and so on and so forth. So we, we come across, I come across teaching people, how can you help another person? And from there, the conversation just flows naturally into a sales conversation without even saying the word sales. I love that. It's such a beautiful definition of it because you're so right, Kurt. It's not, you know, when I first started out in business, I thought, okay, I've got to figure out how to manipulate people into buying my product, or I got to figure out how to bamboozle them into saying yes about this. And, and that's where all my anxiety came from. Cause I was like, how do I figure out what they're thinking? So I can shortchange that with this. So they buy from me and not somebody else. And when I stopped all that and finally started to understand what you, what you just got done saying here, that we're helpers. And I love your concept of helpsmen, right? But we're, we're helpers. That's it. If, if Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. If you truly want to help people, sales is the conduit to doing that. It helps them getting get them what they want. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I love that. I love that passion that you use. And I also like to think about introverts, extroverts, problem solvers. You know, we're, we're, we're solving a problem. And if you're in the outdoor business, it's all about engineering. Now, we don't want to paint it that way because, oh, gosh, you know, but I don't, if I'm competing with a guy that's going to make 14 trips to Home Depot or, or Lowe's, he's doing it wrong. You need yeah. a helpsman. You need someone who can engineer the solution suite and see it from the professional's eye. We're not selling. We're solving that problem. It's the customer or the prospect who has to make a decision to choose us based on the way that we help them get to that conclusion. So we're detectives. We're problem solvers. We're fact finders. We're, you know, people sailing like Columbus and we're going on a discovery to determine, is there a problem or a solution suite that I can offer and recommend? I absolutely love that, Kurt. It's, it's so true. So what would you say to the contractor out there listening that has kind of like, I used to be this way. That's why I can say this out loud. A one trick pony where I'd go out and be like, all right, I'd listen to a client. Like, so I came to your house and talked to you. You'd, you'd, I, I would probably walk in and say, okay, what do you want? Okay. I want a patio deck, pool, whatever combination of all that. And I would be like, all right, I got it for you. Let me design it. We're ready to go. Like, I didn't really ask a lot of questions. I was uh, more about like, you know, I already have the answer. I'm the professional here. You expect me to come up with something instantly for you or within a short amount of time. But I don't really don't want to have a conversation because ultimately you're paying a professional. I know what to do. I've been doing this longer than you have. So how do you help people that have that mentality start to finally ask good questions and guide the ship so you can actually get those higher value clients? That contractor, that one trick pony, um, let me introduce you to a couple more ponies that might help them. We always go after, oh, what's the need? I need, you know, they call us, I need a deck. I need a landscape. I need a stone archway. I need something. And I would want to challenge that contractor to say, what is underneath that need? So there's a need and a want. I need, if I was calling you on the phone, Joshua, and say, Joshua, man, I need a car. And you go, Kurt, I got an 87 Ford right now it's yours and i'm like that's not what i want and you're like kurt you just said you needed a car i just provided you a free car now you're pushing it back saying that's not what i want and so a contractor who's going beyond the needs of that customer client or prospect and determines well, what is it that you really want and, and then why why do you want that and we just had a deck uh, installed and if i would have had that person say why do you want a deck because my wife wants to sit outside and look at this tree. She likes nature because we want to entertain more people around there. 
that backs me into a whole new conversation of the type of deck, the quality of the deck, the design of the deck, the materials I use for the deck. I'm no longer that one trick pony. I've got the need. I need a deck. But what is it that you want and why? And now once I start talking about the why, eventually we have to overcome all sorts of things like the price or, or the quality or, or any of that. But that's what I like to share with people is let's understand what your need is. Kurt needs a car, but what is it you really want? Well, what I want is a 2002 Honda Accord that gets 38 miles to the gallon and that's highly re reliable. Okay, Kurt, why do you want that Honda Accord? Because I just got a new job that's 50 miles one way. So I'm commuting a lot and that's why I really don't want your brand old Ford, 87 Ford. And so now once I find that out, I can help design that pitch, story, referral, testimonial, whatever it is that my contractor has as it relates to uncovering needs, wants, and wants. Man, listeners out there, if you didn't get that, back it up and listen to it again because he just dropped some gold on you. That concept of first the need, because how often does it happen that our clients come to us and say, we just need a patio, we just need a deck, we just need you to fix this. And then you say, okay, cool, you take the bone and run with it. And then you wonder why they're not buying from you because the next guy went one level deeper. He went to the, to the, you know, what do they want? So they need want. Okay, well, he listened to us a little bit more. He actually got more and we actually feel like he's vested in our, in our project. And then you get the, the, the other company that comes out and goes need, want, and why, knowing why Mrs. Jones is doing it. The next thing you know, she's like, I love this guy. He actually listens to me and totally understands why we're doing this too. And you wonder why you're losing projects. Mm. And if the person who asked all those needs, wants, and whys has a bid that's 15 to 20% higher than the guy that's just going to show up with a hammer, Mrs. Jones is still going to go with that person because you get me and it's worth the extra 20. Now, of course, at that point, you have to talk about your previous project, your quality, your things of that nature. They have to compete. There's got to be a value prop that yeah. differentiates you from the six other people that they may shop. I love that. I love that. So, Kurt, so... Why don't we, before we get going too much further, how did you get here? How did you get into yeah. doing sales and helping people? And like, can you tell us a, you know, a quick version of yeah. your story and kind of get us up to speed? I'll, I'll do it in a Reader's Digest version. So growing, growing up, I thought I wanted to be an oceanographer. Um, and that didn't work out. I thought I was going to be a computer programmer. So I started slinging code. And from slinging code, the people were saying, now you need to teach the people how to use what you just programmed. That was putting me in front of people that got me into a trainer modality or into a, and then from there, I kind of naturally moved into sales. But ultimately what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to be a professional speaker. And um, well, it took me a while to get to that place where I could check those boxes off. And I used sales as a vehicle. I want to help people. I want to solve problems and I want to make sure I pick the right product and company that resonates with who I am so I don't show up and the look on my face is, I hate this product, I hate this company, and oh, by the way, would you like to buy three of them? It just <laughs> yeah. doesn't work. Exactly. No, I love that, dude. So what are you currently doing now? You're obviously a sales coach. So tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously you're a speaker and all that too. So take yeah, us around uh, what it, you do now. And so I do uh, so many different things. And so I've got like, well, somebody will say, well, what's your day job? Well, I'm the vice president of sales development for a $1.6 billion public company. We run about 250 outside salespeople, about 230 inside people, and I develop all that training and content. I also do some stuff outside that's 
under the, the umbrella peak sales strategy where I do a lot of sales coaching. I'm a big believer in assessments. I'm a bigger believer in the DISC profile. Mm. Anything that can help a seller or a contractor or someone in the office understand how people are wired. Because the, uh, the scary thing is they're not wired just like you are. They may be wired differently. What if I could present my way myself in a way that could basically be the way that they're looking, acting, and thinking that might help? So lots of that is going on in my life, Joshua, and, and I'm just getting started. There's a lot more runway on there on that deck. I love it. I love it. I love your enthusiasm, dude. And that's one reason why I wanted to have you on here because you're not only brilliant in this category, but you're also passionate about it, which is really cool. So question for you is, and I've heard as many times my students say it or, or whatever, they said, you know what, you know, I just wasn't born a salesperson. I like to be, you know, I, I'm not a peopler. I, I like to, I have, I talk to people when I have to, and I, I kind of would rather just kind of be in my own little world. And, and I'm not born a salesperson, but I kind of have to do it. So do you think you need to be born a salesperson or is that something you can learn? I sure thought so at first, right? Because I remember I wanted nicer things growing up and my parents said, you're going to get what we can give you. I wanted Levi 501 jeans. They were going to get me Wranglers. I wanted something nice. They're going to get me something of necessity. They said, if you want more, you're going to have to earn more. So I gathered up all my toys, put them in a box and started going door to door, trying to sell my toys to people. So are you a born salesperson? People could have thought I was. I think you're not. I think you can become whatever you want to become. And that requires this uh, slogan or, or cliche, if you will, from an old business philosopher, Jim Rohn. He says, when the why gets stronger, the how gets easier. Mm, sure. So when you think about that to that introvert, that engineer, that person who's got math skills, but not vocal skills, when the why gets stronger, the how gets easier. When you can cross that chasm and go, I need to do this, I want to do this, needs, wants, and whys, then you can tell an introvert, here are some simple things you can do to allow another person to talk. Ask open-ended questions. Be curious. Wow, when you say this, what do you mean? Mrs. Jones, when you're thinking about those entertaining people, where are you putting the outside barbecue? That's not introvert or extrovert. That's just an open-ended question that gets Mrs. Jones to buy in on the fact that her new deck will be able to put her outdoor grill right there. And so once that person unlocks the fact that they're not um, held back by their personality, introvert, extrovert, dominant, not dominant, aggressive, passive, all of this is optional. All of this can be accessible to each and every one of those people. And I have had in, on our sales team, a ton of introverted sales engineers. And I would rather have that person solve my problem than that suede shoe, pinky ring, plaid jacket, back slapping, <laughs> Joshua, man, how are you doing today? And, you know, it's just a bunch of hot air. Yep. I'd rather have the person who says, here are the three things you can do to make your system work better. Mic drop. It's just like, thank you. That's what I'm looking for. They just get me to the to the solution. And as guys, we're we're naturally wired to be problem solvers. Ask our wives, right? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So if if we look at sales as the opportunity for us to do what God told us we were supposed to do anyway, right? To problem solve problems, then changes the game, doesn't it? You, there, there's there's less anxiety when you're like, I'm here to help you. Imagine walking up to uh, you know a new potential client's house, and instead of being nervous about what you're going to say, in your mind you think, huh. I wonder how many problems I can help them solve today. And that's yeah. it. Done. That's all. And you walk in the door, shake hands, 
you take your shoes off, you sit down, you talk about what their problems are, and you think about how you're going to solve them, but you don't solve their problems right away. Here's the key, and I'm sure Kurt will back me up on this. It's you don't try to solve those problems. Oh, I have a problem. Uh, I've got weeds in my patio or my deck is falling off my house. Got it. I'm going to build you a deck. Slow it down. Pump the brakes a little bit. Let's ask some of those open-ended questions like Kurt says. Okay, so how do you visualize this new deck laying out? What are you going to do out there? It's a Sunday afternoon. It's a beautiful summer day. You walk out into this space. What are you doing? What would you love to be doing? How are you going to use it? Do you have grandkids? Cool. How will they use it? How will your, your friends and family, you said you get together every Thursday night to play cards. Where do you sit when you do that? Do you ever want to be outside to do that? Like these are just big open how and what questions and think about that opportunity to give your clients the paint brushes, if you will, and let them paint the picture for you. Sure. How much more likely are you to get it right and get exactly what Mrs. Jones wants when she's painting the picture for you, as opposed to you taking words and taking your brushes and trying to paint a picture based on her words, let her do it for you. Make sure you get both husband and wife involved. Ask them both open-ended questions. And pretty soon you've got a gorgeous mural on the wall of exactly what they need. You just got to put a price to it now. Right. And then we all can work around that price objection or that price mm -hmm. challenge because sometimes the Joneses want, you know, the caviar dreams on a beer budget. Now, there's a reality check that comes in regardless on if you're an outdoor, if you're indoor, if you're selling pharmaceuticals, there's going to be a reality check on budgets. And Always. we can be honest and we can have integrity. And we've already done all of the discovery work by having them take the paintbrush and paint the mural. Yeah. And so now it's just like, well, that's what you said you wanted. That's ultimate. But now let's repaint based on the reality check. And you know what? I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities for the contractor listening can actually carve in a budget and a solution. And that gives them referrals and testimonials and a lifelong, absolutely loyal customer because they worked within that conversation. It's brilliant. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And, and that's, that's what sales is, listeners. That's what it is. It's problem solving at its best. And helping the client get to a solution that they can, that they not only love, then that they can afford, that's going to last them for a long time too, right? This isn't a short-term thing. So I'd love to go a little deeper with you, yeah. Kurt, on how you handle pricing objections, how you handle budget conversation, all of that. So if I was a, uh, you know, a salesperson for outdoor living company and I came, uh, you know, to you and you were teaching me how to do that, like get around that, what would you say when I'm going in? Because a lot of our projects are 20, 40, 60, 100, 200, 400, $500,000. How do you manage a client's expectations with that? Well, you know, clients are looking at uh, things like quality. They're looking at delivery. They're looking at service. They're looking at professionalism. They're looking at price. I call those the five things that everybody's looking at. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times I just teach sales pros with images or those words, hey, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, of these five things, which how would you prioritize these? And you give them the paintbrush. You give them the pen. They put price on number two or number three because quality and delivery are the two big things. I need a deck like last week, but I want it to be X or Y in its quality. Well, we can work on price, but eventually we're going to get to that price. And then we can say things like, you know, you know, if, Joshua, if I was to take price off the table and just talk about the other things that got you really excited about us having this conversation together, are these things still very important to you? Yes, it is. Well, then let's kind of look at price. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. I can do this. I can do that. And we have to anticipate as sales pros, as problem solvers, that if price is going to be that 
big objection that comes into what we do, then we've got to be able to field it just like a third baseman for a professional baseball team feels that ground ball because he's been fielding that ground ball since he's in junior high school playing baseball. And he just, I field it. I got it. Okay. Tell me a little bit more as compared to who, what price did you think you had in mind? How much do you think that would be worth? Now, granted, if you're talking as a contractor to a $400,000 bid, you're going to do an entire neighborhood or you're going to do a whole new subdivision. Well, it's kind of difficult to go to the general contractor uh, opposing you and say, well, how much do you think it's worth? Because that's going to sound goofy. But there are ways of just couching that price, taking it off the table, putting it back, help me to understand, as opposed to what, what else were you thinking about? Who else do you have a price? And then you can go back to that conversation, the mural on the wall. Well, you know, you said that that deck is important. You said that you wanted it to do this and such. In order for us to do that, this price allows us to do that in this material. Now, we can obviously go with pine, but again, you said you want longevity because you're getting older and you don't want to stain your own deck every three years. So I offered a little higher grade wood that will allow you to have that longevity and it would extend the life of your deck for this much longer. So you basically go back to the expertise of you, the contractor. I've hired you, the landscaper, the builder, the electrician, because you are you. Are you. If I wanted to do it, I'd be watching do-it-yourself YouTube videos and going 16 times the lows. And yeah. so I respect a contractor and I respect their price. And it's just, then it's a budget game. And then sometimes we just we just have to, marinate in that objection. And I know a lot of sales trainers are like, just address it, move on, address it, move on. And I'm saying, okay, but it's their objection. They've owned it. They're struggling with it. So let's give them the benefit of the time to just kind of let that sit on the table, talk about it, and then say, well, does that answer the question? Outside of that, could we move forward? And then we start playing that, that conversation game. No, it's great. And, and you're, I love the way that you approach that. Now, what if I had a client that um, say they've, they've approved like a, diff, a d- decent budget range, let's just say 150 to $175,000 for a project. Everything's gone through. We gave them in that range of project. And right when we're ready to sign that, that contract to get moving forward, they stop and say, you know what? We actually have decided we want to be at 160, but we want everything included that you have for 175. How do you handle that one? Wow. Wow. So you're really kind of looking at uh, $15,000 on the table. Yeah. Uh, what, how could you do? What can you do with that? It, now we're talking negotiation. Now it's, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Do we split the difference? Do we do a win, 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 lose, lose, win? A contractor who is going in at 175 and, and agreed to that until the 11th hour and it drops to 160, you've got to anticipate that. Do you have a little bit of meat on the bone? Is there some way that you can say, I can see how you'd want to get to 160. And I, I, I would give you a couple of different options, but the quality of the option is going to cause a future headache based on you can have it cheap or you can have it fast or you could have it tomorrow. And you've got to play around with that. And then sometimes, you know, you're, you're just going to face, let's just call it politely, customers who are knuckleheads. You know, they're going to play the grind game because that's what they read in their negotiation book. He came in at 175, grind him to 160. Well, 
you know, be careful about what you're going to ask for because we in the business, there's a reason we're 175. Yep. And as long as you are ethical and honest about that 175, then you can stand to it and say, you know what? That's my best price. Yep. Are you willing to walk? That is a negotiation tactic, but you've got to make sure as both you and I teach, what you've got in the funnel. You've got, you have nothing in the funnel, then you walk away from that deal. It that's that's not good either. And so sales is a lot of different things in all of the exercises and all of the practices and all of the fundamentals. And then when these things happen and that person gives you that sales objection, or well, if you're not going to go to 160, I'm just going to go to Billy down the street. Okay, go to Billy down the street. And you could be prepared to walk away because you've got five other quotes that have a 99% chance of closing. And then they might go, well, okay, I'm not going to go to Billy down the street. Yeah. Right. Well, look, and, and and I found in my career that you've just got to own that price sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt. No doubt. I always say there's only three ways to change price. If a client pushes back, one is to have them throw some sweat equity and Hey, you want to do the demo, take the deck off the house, get it prepared for us. You're not building anything, but just get that out of the way, cut the tree down, do that. Sweat equity, go for it. You save that part. Second is you're going to change the scope. Hey, you know, maybe we don't do the deck, the roof and the patio this year. Maybe we just do the deck and the roof. Maybe the patio can be the following year. Or we say, look at the materials in there. Do you really need the highest end decking or the, the best pavers? Can we do stamped concrete? Can we do a simpler decking material? All those are moving parts, right? At the end yes, of sir. the day, we're not saying, look, because my philosophy is this, Kurt, if, if you're going to a client and you say it's $175,000 and they, they balk at that and say 160 and you say, okay, I'll do it for 160. What's that client thinking? You just got taken for 15,000 if you didn't, but wow, you're just a mean suede shoe, pinky ring, used car salesperson, yep. Joshua. I'm never doing business with you again. And exactly. that's not how we grow our business. It's not because now what do you think you're telling your friends? Hey, when you work with that guy, make sure you don't go on his price because he dropped 15 grand off for me just because I asked. Yeah. And then you're like, well, how do you trust this guy? Because if you didn't ask, he would have taken you for $15,000. So your price is your price. You just only in those three categories. And that's going to help you sleep at night better and them sleep at night better too. But, you know, again, some people are just going to be bullheaded about price and that's just what's going to be, it's going to be. And that's just, so you have to be willing to walk away or have them adjust. Or if they don't want to adjust, then, hey, you've got to make a decision. You own the company. But as soon as you take money off, it says, I could have done that in the beginning, but I didn't because I was trying to hold out for the most. Mm -hmm. Good so point. I'd love to talk to you about leading like in frame, you know what I mean? When it comes to asking questions and leading the conversation as a leader, you know, you're, you're problem solver first. But what I see so many sales students come in is they want to be more passive and just say, well, what do you think we should do? And like it, some of that has this place, right? But they... In order to be effective in sales and problem solving, you need to be like, imagine this, Kurt, you go to your doctor and you get to your doctor and you're like, man, my leg hurts. It's hurt for weeks now. I really don't. I don't know what to do. I've, I've tried everything. I'm tired of bottles of Advil. It's just not working anymore. You go to your doctor and he just looks at it and he's like, you know what? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> and, like, and, it, and you're like, I don't know, doc. I came to you for this. Well, did you Google it? <laughs> right. Wow. So my yeah. point is like, you wouldn't expect that from your doctor. You don't go to your lawyer and say, dude, I've got this, this, you know, legal problem. And he's like, all right. So well, like, what do you want to do? <laughs> right. You go there because you want them to take control and listen. Like there's a balance in those two things. And I find that so many salespeople, especially contractors, they're awesome doers. They love to build really cool stuff, but they don't want to like, you know, piss people off or if they, because they're afraid if they open their mouth, they might piss people off. Right. So they just kind of go into it passively and like let the client run the show and then wonder why the client runs them. 
throughout and doesn't have that respect. So the idea of leading the frame or controlling the frame and asking the questions is he or she who asks the questions is controlling the boat at that moment. So constantly thinking about the next question you're going to ask and leave the client in a position where they can just respond, right? Because you're the detective. You mentioned that earlier. That's one of my favorite things. We're detectives trying to crack the case. That's what yeah. we're doing. We're putting on our hats. You know, we're, uh, we're Sherlock Holmes here trying to figure this out and help them. So what are some suggestions you have for somebody who may be, you know, really nice and polite and happy, maybe more of a pleaser, but in order to become better at sales, they need to become more of a leader and a, and a director of, of the conversation. What are some, some ways we can do that? Well, the cliche is, are you working in your business or are you working on your business? I am working in my business, but am I working on my business? I always ask salespeople to collect great open-ended questions yeah. because that is the weakest link. And when I teach a six-step sales process and every time they graduate and I always ask them, which is one of the steps that you wish you were better at? The probe stage, the discovery stage, asking better questions. I said, well, then commit to collecting great questions. You can do that in your peer groups. You could do that from people outside the industry. You could Google it. You could ask ChatGBT and you can go to AI. The ability to have an, a quiver full of arrows, sort of like Legolas from Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. gives you the confidence. And then you can then practice asking some of those questions. So helping understand what brought you to this decision. Uh, if money and time weren't an option, what would this look like? Yeah. Um, help me to understand what's your time frame here. What if you didn't do it at all? Mm -hmm. What if you just walked away from this? You're asking questions for need. You're asking questions for, am I talking to somebody who is, has the decision? Is there a sense of urgency? And then you follow everything up with your ABC, always be curious. And I usually go, well, Joshua, that's interesting. When you say that, what do you mean by, well, tell me more about, well, what would happen if, and there's that detective. And we're asking those simple questions, which goes from needs to wants, from wants to why. But it all begins with the collection. And that's what I would just, you know, sometimes it's as hard as go out, come back next Friday with 10 new open-ended questions. Yeah. Now go out the next Friday and give me 10 more until you get to a point of where you're like, oh my gosh, I've got, I got the questions. Yeah. And that allows you to be confident. I love that. And it's so true because it takes the uncertainty out and put some certainty in, but the next moving part is burning the reps, right? So they come fast and you're ready for them and they're fluid. And what I usually tell my students is like, look, if this isn't coming naturally to you with a lot of times it doesn't, right? We work with scripts and things, so it, it doesn't feel normal to them because it's new. I was like, dude, you can take open-ended questions and go to the grocery store, right? You go there and you see the checkout girl or whatever, and you see something. I'm like, the first thing you do is look if she's wearing something that stands out as unique. And they say, hey, where did you get that necklace? That's really pretty. Right. The next thing you know, she's like, well, you'll see her melt like a little girl. She'd be like, oh my God, I got it from my boyfriend. Or I got it from my dad, or I got it at a yard sale, whatever. And then she wants to talk all about that. And it, I mean, it's, it's so simple. You can do the same with clients. You can do the same in their homes. Like, man, I love that statue is sitting in the living room. Where'd that come from? Right. Yeah. And you can burn reps anywhere. You can be at a gas station burning reps with this, right? Yeah. You can just ask open-ended questions get used to doing that. Once you start your brain looking for things like that to ask, then when it comes time to sit with your clients, you're automatically, you've done the reps. You've gone to the gym. You've done the reps. You can lift that weight because you've done it before and you know you can. That's how you're building that confidence. Totally agree with you on that. And, and especially when you're practicing outside of your industry. Hey, that's an interesting tattoo. What's the story behind that? Yeah. That's a beautiful statue. That that picture on the wall, there has got to be a story behind that. Do you mind if you share that with me? Yeah. Now you're collecting stories and the stories you can collect goes to the next 
uh, home that you get invited into, the next site that you're standing on when you roll up in your truck and you start taking an active interest. And absolutely, all those reps together moves from an unconsciously competent stage. I don't really know. So I have a sheet of paper and I have to read off my paper Mm -hmm. to a consciously competent stage where like you, Joshua, you, you're the master of sales. You can swing these questions like nobody's business. And we who are novices are just sitting at your feet going, man, I can never get there. Well, you were once there, you just made a commitment to get to where you are today. Yeah. Cause like you mentioned earlier, once your why is big enough, like Jim Rohn said, right? The how just figures itself out. It's pretty simple, right? It's like going back to dating, right? You probably remember in your teenage years when you're like, all right, well, women are kind of icky and goofy. They've got cooties, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I want one of them. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden the why becomes bigger than the how is like, but I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm, they might reject me. And after a certain time, you're like, fuck it, I'm going after it. Right. So, but it's, it's that buildup. And once the how, you know, the why gets big enough then the how just happens, right? It's very simple. It's the same with anything else in life once it builds up, but it's understanding and defining what that means. So I'd like to shift gears here for a yes. moment with you um, and get into how important is it to have for businesses to have a somewhat of a process or a solid process in selling and not just be something that you're out shooting off the hip every single time, trying to figure it out and wonder why sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. What is the importance for mm. business to focus on making sure they have a, 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 a bit sales system that they can do over and over and over it's repeatable? It's the same question. What's important about having a recipe? I'll just throw some flour, sugar, water, and uh, uh, cookies uh, chocolate chips in a bowl, I'll mix it all up and throw it in an oven and I'll set it at, I don't know, hot. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to work. Yeah, You're not going to yeah. get anything out of that one. I'm a firm believer in a process, a recipe, step-by-step, step, follow it. Don't, don't be wedded to it or welded to it, if you will. But there's the spin selling, which is situation, problem, implication, need payoff, S-P-I-N. We use impact which is investigate, meet, probe, apply, convince, tie it up. Something simple to guide and direct because as you're doing a sales call, you're closing for the highest level of commitment. Maybe you're closing to meet the decision maker. There's yeah. a process. Maybe you're closing to get a quote. There's a process. Maybe you're closing to follow up on a quote. There's a process. Yeah. But it's absolutely critical that a contractor, an owner, even a multi-generational owner is saying, look, we need to follow a process. Yeah. We have a process when we shave, we have a process when we shower, we have yeah. a process when we do most of the things we have, they're just unconsciously competent. Yeah. And, and I just, I'm just passionate about that because that doesn't require a paycheck. That doesn't require a budget. It just requires a commitment. Absolutely. And the cool part about having a processor system, especially in the, the uh, problem solving slash sales side, is that you can get something that you can do over and over and you can train somebody else to do it too, right? So the problem I had in the beginning of my career was that I was the only one selling. And I was like, no one else does it like me. So I'm stuck doing this forever. And anybody else that tries to do it my way doesn't do it my way. So therefore, I'm going to be stuck doing this forever, working in my business to set it on it forever. And then when I realized, wait a minute here, that's not how big companies work. They have hundreds, if not thousands or whatever, 10 salespeople, doesn't matter, right? How do they do this and still get the same result for the client at the end? It's like, well, maybe there's a process. There has to be like a, a thread of truth that runs through all of this. So what if there was a process that we could repeat it 
And then when we repeat that over and over, we now can quantify it. We can now watch it. We can analyze what's working, what's not working, as opposed to just like I did for most of my youth was just shooting off the hip. And then we're like, that didn't work. Let's go read a book, fix that problem. Then it didn't work after six months from now. And it's like, because that's not how people think. I'm trying to solve a problem. Why not just go and find somebody who's already figured this out and just use what they got. Learn the system, use what they got, teach our guys, and then forget that we have to do that. We got to keep practicing, of course, but we have that part kind of summed up and then we can watch it and we can say, all right, well, sales are down. Why is that? Has the market changed? Do we have to change our conversation? Or is it Sam says one thing, Joe says something else, uh, you know, Pat says something else and like, well, Pat's killing it, but, but, you know, Sam is just struggling right now because it, so my point is by having things centralized in a process or a system and how you communicate and solve problems for clients. It's going to change the game. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, I, I love what you're saying. And, and I, there's and inside any of the processes that are out there, there are guidelines and boundaries that you can use. So if Patrick's killing it and, and, and Jonathan's not, we can go to Jonathan and saying, are you talking to people who are qualified to buy? No, I'm just talking to everybody. I'm just going to talk to everybody. Well, there's a process to help you talk to the right qualified person. Are you listening with both ears and one mouth? That's a process. Are you presenting the quotation, the best part about our company, our contractor in the, in the process? Well, where that in, in my process, presenting your company's strengths and benefits, that's step four of six. So the first three steps are all about getting to know them and the discovery and the investigation. Most of my amateur junior sales time in my 20s and half my 30s was doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. But just doing it with passion. Well, you know, that didn't work. There's yeah. that guy crushing it and he's got a process. He just might not know it. He's not evangelizing his process, but we could put pen to paper and we could see the logical steps and his closing rate and his forecasting ability. And that's, that's gold. Oh, there's no doubt, dude. There's no doubt for sure. So, hey, I know we're getting here close to the end. I have one last question for you, and then we're going to find out how people can reach out to you if they love what you're saying. So what do you think the top three mistakes that most salespeople, particularly contractors, are making when they go out and meet with clients? The first mistake is we all make it, we don't listen. And again, you're talking about reps and going to the gym. I'm saying go to the sales gym and work out your listening muscles, active listening, asking questions and listening for the answer. Typically we ask a question so that we can listen to the thing that we want to step over. Hmm. So big mistake number one is you're not listening. Big mistake number two is you're afraid to close. Meaning that we, I, I like the assumptive close based on Joshua, everything we've said here, I just need a commitment to get forward. I just need a credit card to secure the payment. I just need to sign this document. Most people are sheep and we need to be shepherds. And they don't mind us closing as long as it's in the process. Yeah. And the third is another cliche. The fortune is in the follow-up. Sales pros forget to follow up. They're afraid of rejection. They don't want to call Sam back because Sam said, I went with a different person, the guy that would do it for 160000 And I want to call him back and say, how's that guy working out? Six change orders later, I'm at 187. Yeah. Huh. I gave it to you at 175 flat, no change orders. So you've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to close and you've got to be able to follow up. I love that. It's so true. It's absolutely so true. 
And you know, the crazy part is, Kurt, you know, most of the listeners out there, they probably do 20, 40, 50, 100,000, maybe two, three, four, 500,000, whatever, like under half a million dollar projects. And they hear it from me and from others in the industry that speak about sales. But you're VP of sales and development for a $1.5 billion, you know, group interest. And the, the, my point is saying that is the same sales principles that we're talking about for landscapers, hardscapers, outdoor living pros work in that arena as well. My point is this is human connection. This is connecting and solving problems, no matter if you're selling $1 widgets or billion dollar items, it's how humans communicate. And that's what this is all about is communication. Preach it. Joshua, you, you've got me taking notes, man. It's, it's, it's exciting to know that. And I want, I want your listeners to know that we're humans. There's no magic in what we're doing with a billion dollar industrial distributor, distributor that you're not doing in hardscape. It's people. It's the same thing. It's ability to listen and the ability to close, the ability to follow up. I love it. I love it. So, Kurt, I appreciate you coming on today. How can people find you? Uh, I've got a yeah, website. Got... That's the easiest place. It's called Peak Sales Strategy. It's all one big word, peaksalesstrategy.com. I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, those are the places you can get to me. If you're a contractor and you're just wanting to chat with me and you going to run some things past me, man, I love to pay it forward. And I'll do whatever I can to help you because you're the backbone of America. You're the Amen. backbone of what we do. And you are an expert and you are valued and you need to know that and you need to hear that. Amen to that, brother. Preach, preach, preach. <laughs> I love it. So, Kurt, I appreciate you coming on today. And I hope everyone out there listening uh, got a lot. Uh, I always love talking to sales pros like Kurt. I mean, this guy's out there in the trenches. He's doing the work. He's meeting. He's helping. He's He not only learned this in his industry, he is now teaching others how to do this. And there's no higher calling than to help each one teach one. It's one of my sayings that I love to, to push. And the idea is that, guys, you know, if you don't have a sales process or if you really suck at selling, I did too. And I still suck at selling because, you know what? I'm a problem solver, not a salesman right? And to, to your helpsman uh, framework in the beginning, I love that because when you think about that, if you truly are out there because you want to build cool shit and you want to help people, how hard is it to sell that? If you take away the sliminess of the, and the anxiety that comes from what you think that means and stop for a moment when you get to the next front door of your clients and you knock a ring on that doorbell and you stop for one moment, take a deep breath and say, how many problems can I help this client solve today? And then move forward with that mindset. Not how can I sell them for as much money as possible. You go in trying to help first and the money follows later. Yep. So Kurt, thank you for coming on. Listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Bye.